Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come and open up your word and learn from it. And um, Lord, we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word this morning, that we would be changed, that we would uh, grow, we'd be encouraged and challenged to be more and more like Jesus. We thank you again uh, that we can read your word, Lord. Um, this is an ancient letter that we're reading through, and yet it's still as relevant today as it was when it was first written, and that's just the wonder and beauty of your, of your word, which is living and active. So we want to submit to it. Um, I ask that you would help us, Lord. We all come with distractions, a lot of things heavy on our hearts. We pray that we'd be able to lay those aside just for a few moments and listen to what you have to tell us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles or your digital devices, <coughs> fake Bibles, but no, I'm just playing. It's still the same thing. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 3. We are continuing our series looking at this amazing letter. And uh, though it's not a very large letter in my Bible, it's broken up into four chapters, it is chock full of some amazing uh, truth that uh, we get to, to read. Um, the motive behind uh, Paul writing this letter to the church in the city of Philippi was uh, to thank them for their financial gift, for providing for his needs, for uh, encouraging them, to, for uh, uh, continuing to, to instruct them and challenge them. And in chapter one, uh, Paul just starts off saying, you know, I think of you guys all the time. And when I think of you, I'm, I'm glad you, you, I have really fond memories of you. And I pray for you often. I pray that you continue to grow and mature in your spiritual walk. And the, the, the church in Philippi was growing spiritually, but Paul was like, I pray you go grow more and more and more. And, uh, at the end, uh, towards the end of chapter one, verse 27, he gives his, his main, uh, his main command, which is conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, live your life in such a way that is fitting, that is appropriate for those who proclaim uh, Jesus, who follow uh, Jesus. And what that looks like, he goes on, it, it looks like unity. It looks like being of the same mind, being of the same spirit. It's, it's, it's loving one another. It's being in fellowship, partnership with one another. It's, it's uh, not being selfish, not being arrogant or prideful. It's thinking of others ahead of yourself. And that unity, the only way that happens is, is, is through humility. And then in chapter two, he gives us the greatest example of, of someone who was humble, and that was Jesus Christ, who was God, who is God, and yet he chose to become a servant and, and serve and, and to be obedient, even though it led to his death on a cross. And so as the, the church is called to follow in Christ's example, and as he closes off the chapter two, he brings up two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And while these men were not perfect, they were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, look at them. These, you want to know what it looks like to follow in the example of Christ? Look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. The beginning of chapter three, he kind of says, okay, I'm, I'm coming towards the end of my letter, but I still got some other things I want to say to you. He says, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a broken record. I only know one song and I sing it loud and proud and I keep on repeating myself and I'm okay doing that. I'm not hesitant to repeat myself. It's all about the gospel, 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 gospel. Uh, that's the Greek word euangelion. It simply means good news. In the first century, the good news uh, was uh, about another Roman victory. It was the good news that the empire was the beacon of, of peace and prosperity and hope. It was the good news that the, 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 the emperor was ruling and reigning. But for, for, for Paul, he's like, that's not the good news. The real good news is the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has come. Jesus has brought salvation. Jesus is establishing his eternal kingdom. And for those who trust in Jesus, will be able to be a part of that eternal kingdom in the end. That's the good news that he just kept on repeating over and over and over again. And he's like, it's great that I repeat it because it'll protect you from false teachers. And during that time, uh, there was a, a, a group that were of particular annoyance to, to Paul, known as the Judaizers. We talked about them. There were uh, Jewish uh, individuals or Gentiles who converted to Judaism uh, who 
accepted the claims of Christ, but it was like, you can accept Jesus, but you also got to become Jewish. If you're a man, that means circumcision. That means follow the dietary laws, following the Torah. In addition to the Torah, you also have to follow all the, the oral traditions that have been passed on for centuries. You got to follow those as well. And only when you follow those, those rules uh, will you truly be saved. And Paul's like, don't listen to that. Those, that's a false gospel. These people who are proclaiming it are all focusing on what they've achieved. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is not about what we have done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And that's the focus. Um, but these Judaizers are focusing all on their accomplishments and all their successes. And, and Paul's like, you know, if there's anyone who has the ability to boast about their successes and accomplishment, he's like, I do. And he goes and lists this amazing resume that would have been the dream for the Judaizers and the Jews at that time. And he says, we pick it up at chapter three, verse eight. Oh, wait, no, no, let me see. Uh, Yeah, verse eight. Oh no, verse seven of chapter three. He says, but whatever things were gained to me. Here, Paul is is using a, a language of an accountant. He says, whatever, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, 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 I'm checking out uh, my checking inventory here. Uh, whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as lost because of Christ. If we don't think we believe him, he emphasizes it even more so in verse eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He's like, look, I, I'm taking inventory like an accountant. I'm seeing all the things that I would consider gains and ultimate advantages and values in my life or what others people would see as gains and advantages in my life. And I just lump it all as one some one package it's all loss when it comes to jesus there is no comparison jesus is far more superior far more valuable it's it's jesus and only jesus for me he says i in fact i've lost everything because of my belief in jesus I've lost everything. I've lost connections with family members, with friends, with colleagues. I've lost money. I've lost respect. People used to think I was a, a important, but now they hate me. They want, some people want to kill me. They want to imprison me. I've lost everything, but it's okay because all those things that I've lost, I count it as rubbish. That's the Greek word skubalon. It's, it's, it's the idea of waste. It's, it's like dung. It's like human or animal dung. That's how he views this. Again, in light of who God is, it's not to say, it's not to say that there aren't beautiful things in this life like family and friends. Those are all good and beautiful and, and are a blessing to be enjoyed. But Paul's like, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is, again, far more valuable, far more superior than any of those things. And then he says, so that I count them mere rubbish, verse nine. Oh, so that I may gain Christ, verse nine, and may be found in him. Again, his identity, Paul constantly brings up, I'm in Christ, that is my identity. And I'll be found in him when Jesus comes back, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. For the Judaizers, it was all about do, do this, do all this work, do all, follow these rules. And and that's when you'll, uh, receive um, salvation. Paul's like, no, no, it's all through, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is, is the idea of trusting Christ and, and not only just simply trusting him, but, but following him, devoting your life to him. He says, that's where true salvation comes from. That's where I want to be declared righteous, not because of all my stuff that I've done, but all because what Jesus has done for me. Verse 10, he continues, that I may know him, not just on an intellectual level. Husbands don't just intellectually know their wives or parents don't just intellectually know their children. This This idea of knowing is a personal, intimate, close knowledge of them. Paul's like, I want to know Jesus on a personal, intimate level and the power of his resurrection. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in me and I want to experience the the Holy Spirit's work in me and through me. Um, And then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In uh, the end of, of chapter one, Paul brings up the idea of suffering. He doesn't candy coat it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He, he says, it, I'm suffering, but he recognizes that it's a good thing. God is using it. He, he calls it a gift. 
For a lot of us, we would say that that's not a gift I would want to have. But Paul's like, it's a gift. Suffering is a gift because God doesn't waste it. God uses it to mold us and shape us more and more into him, to the image of him. And he, he uses it to further advance the gospel. He also uses it to inspire and encourage all the other believers to boldly proclaim uh, the faith in Jesus Christ. It's a good thing. We looked at a passage when we went through that section on suffering Romans, where Paul says, uh, you know, God, for those who love Jesus, who are following Jesus, God works all things to, for good. Doesn't necessarily mean happy. Doesn't necessarily mean easy or pleasant or comfortable, but God's going to get the glory. It's going to be good. And so Paul's like, I want to experience that. And ultimately in the end, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead where we'll finally be with Jesus forever and ever. And on the heels of that, Paul continues at verse 12. So we're going to go ahead and read this entire passage and then take our time. So Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the gospel for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So in, um, in 2014, um, a guy by the name of Meb Kofletsky uh, crossed the finish line of the Boston Marathon in first place uh, for the first time. For the first time since 1983, I believe, uh, an American. He was the first American to win uh, since 1983, uh, and and so that's pretty pretty significant, pretty special. Um, but Kifletsky was also 38 years old, making him the oldest, one of the oldest people to win the Boston Marathon in 83 years. So that's also pretty significant. But what made this, this moment, this victory, even that much more heavy, weighty, was the fact that this marked the one-year anniversary to the tragic bombing at the Boston Marathon. And as, as Kifletsky was crossing over the the, the, the finish line, he had the names of the victims written on the bib of his, of his, you know, running runner's outfit. And, uh, it was just, it's just like a movie. I mean, as he's getting closer, uh, to the finish line, everyone's just starting to cheer and chant USA, USA. He crosses the threshold, his hands go up. He's just so emotional. Again, not the fact that he, I mean, obviously, cause he ran the race, he finished the race, he won the race, but because he was like running on behalf of those who weren't able to run you know, from the year prior, who, who had lost their lives. So very a moving moment. He was hugging his wife, hugging his coach. Very emotional, very, very poignant time in history. Um, in our passage this morning, Paul uses this intense running analogy. He uses it to describe the, the Christian life. And, 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 and having just described his all-consuming desire to, to know Christ, the apostle now tells the Philippians that he's not just sitting around. He's not just sitting on his hands, just waiting for life to pass by. No, he's, he's running. He's running, running, running towards uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, this uh, kind of language would have been a particular... Um, would have resonated particularly with the, the city of Philippi because they had in their city a, a pretty uh, large, um, was it, uh, Colosseum, 
where every year they would host uh, games, much like the Olympic Games. And uh, for I forget how long the, the games would last, but at that time, the whole city was, everyone was absorbed and focused on these games. And the, 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 their favorite uh, uh, events to, to follow um, were the, the foot races. And so Paul uses this language, again, just to kind of get, inspire uh, the Philippians church, the, the, the church in, in the city of Philippi. Um, now, we all know the, uh, the truth that there is no such thing as a perfect person, right? Compared to what your grandparents or parents might tell you, you're not perfect. None of us is perfect. The only person who's ever, who ever lived that was perfect was Jesus. Jesus was completely perfect. He never sinned. Everything he did was to glorify uh, the Father. But if we were to uh, think of a close second, I would say maybe Paul, <laughs> right? If there's someone who get just that pretty close to being perfect, at least in our opinion, the apostle Paul, I mean, not, I mean, talking about not his BC time, you know, before Christ, I mean, that was, he was awful, but when he was a follower of Christ, man, this guy was amazing. He'd go out preaching, declaring the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He'd get beaten up. He'd get spit on. He'd get uh, thrown into prison. Uh, one time he went into the city of Ephesus and because of him proclaiming the gospel, uh, uproar uh, came in, you know, on into the, in the city and there were a mob formed and they almost ripped Paul apart so much that it was just so violent that the guards actually had to grab him and save and rescue Paul out of that predicament. In another instance, he was at the city, I believe at Lystra and he was stoned where you know, he, he, the people thought actually he was dead. So they dragged his body out of the city. Paul wakes up, brushes the, the dust off, like, oh, that wasn't nice. And he goes right back in that city and he starts proclaiming the gospel. And then eventually he gets arrested and, and, and they have to send him in, in Jerusalem and they have to send him all the way to, to Rome to appear before, uh, to appeal his case before Caesar. And just getting there was crazy. I mean, his ship uh, uh, sinks and he's floating out in the sea alone. And finally, when he gets to land and he's warming himself with the fire, he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. It's like, and now he's in Rome and he's chained 24-7 to an, a, a guard, a Roman guard. He's having to rely on the contributions of his friends and family in order to live and to survive uh, and waiting his trial. And yet he's still writing this letter. It's talking about, I'm joyful. Rejoice, Philippians. Just as I'm rejoicing, rejoice. It's like, are you kidding me? Paul, you're like superhero Christian, right? You're just so amazing, but, but look what Paul says, beginning of verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it. Not that I've already taken hold of it, acquired it, or have already become perfect. He uses the Greek word tele, uh, the, the, the verb uh, teleao. It means to be, uh, to be fully furnished, to succeed fully. This word, if you're uh, um, knowledgeable of philosophy, this is where we get the, the word, the philosophical term teleology, which is basically the final clause. It means the, the end goal. Uh, it's what you were created for. It's what life, everything in life is leading towards. Paul's like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Talk about an example of humility. I mean, this is Paul. Paul, are you kidding me? Paul's like, no, no. I'm have, I haven't arrived I've just been talking about glorification, the resurrection of the dead. I'm not there yet, you guys. I'm still in the process. I'm still a work in progress. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. This is the idea of pursuing, running after, hunting. It was, it was used for hunters who were hunting a game. I'm continually pressing on so that, or if also I may lay hold of, and this is the Greek word katalambano. Ooh, very fun name for word. But it, it literally means to exert energy, to, to grasp onto something, to overpower. Think of uh, uh, um, in football, someone is going, you know, someone has the ball, court, whoever has the ball, and someone running after him in hot pursuit and then grabs that team member and brings him to the ground. 
That's kind of the imagery, the intense imagery. It's like, I, I, I press on. I, I continue to, to, to follow after Jesus so that I may grab hold of him, that I may seize him, that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is, um, I want to grasp onto Jesus, cling to him, almost have this death-like grip on Jesus the same way he already has a grip on me. This is amazing. This is what the, the good news of the gospel. What Paul's saying is that salvation, uh, to be born again, is not this progressive thing. Living the life of a, of a Christian is a progressive thing. We call it sanctification. You're, you're constantly getting, Lord willing, growing up and getting uh, more spiritually mature. But salvation isn't progressive. It just happens once you put your trust and your, your faith in, in Christ. You know, it's not as if, oh, I just choose to follow Jesus and now Jesus just has like a little bit of you and now you have to go on and you know, perform spiritual disciplines of reading your Bible, praying and memorizing scripture and then slowly but surely Christ hugs you more and more and more and eventually he, he has you completely and now you're fully saved. No. Once you're saved, he grabs a hold of you, he locks his arms and that's it. You're his. And so Paul's like, I press on. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I'm still in the middle, but I want to lay hold of Christ the same way he has laid hold of me. And in verse 13, he says, brethren. Now this is a, a, a Delphos. This is a, a, a family term, brother, a family member. It could be brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul loves these individuals. He, he cares for them. And, and, and what's interesting uh, normally, Paul would use this word uh, either at the end of his letter or even just to announce a new section that he's talking about. Uh, but here he's bringing up this word right in the middle of a discussion, right in the middle of the discussion. It's almost as if he's, he's trying to really just get their attention. It's like he's, he's going like this, hi, Rena. Hi, Rena. I love you, Rena. I care about you, and I want you to trust me. Do you trust me? I want you to focus in. Now, that's kind of weird, so we can, but that's kind of the idea. That's he's like, brethren, I want you to focus in on this. I want you to understand because maybe some of you are doubting and thinking, oh yeah, right. Paul's just saying that because he's a humble man. He's like, no, listen, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet. Now, when he says regard, he, he, he uses a mathematical term. He's like, I, 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 I've, I've calculated I've, everything in my life. I've crunched the numbers and, and I realize I'm not there. You guys have to believe me. I'm not there yet. I'm still a work of progress. I haven't laid hold of it. Then he continues, but one thing I do, and in the uh, Greek, um, thing I do is not in the actual Greek. It's literally, but one. But this one thing I focus on, this one thing that I, uh, that I, I lead my life, I live my life on. And he uses a, 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 a phrase, to, to, well, two phrases, on the one hand, and then another phrase, on the other hand. Uh, it's kind of the way they, they would formulate in the first century their, their arguments. He says, on the one hand, forgetting what lies behind, and on the other hand, reaching to what lies ahead. When he uses the word uh, forgetting, um, it's the Greek word epilanthanomai. Ooh, you're like, wow, that's impressive. It's because I practiced it really hard. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's what it means is to lose out of the mind. It means to neglect. It's to overlook. What, what Paul's saying is, I did not, um, he did not just forget what, lied behind, what lies behind him in his past. It's like, oh, I don't remember it at all. It doesn't, I, I don't even know what I did in my past. What he's saying here with this word is, is that it's a daily discipline. Every day I have to continually forget. I have to continually overlook, neglect, not recall the things of my past, what it lies behind me. He's basically saying, I don't live in my past. Instead, I'm reaching forward. It's this idea of stretching, exerting an amount of energy. Have you ever seen uh, in the Olympics, the, the foot races, especially that 100 yard dash at the very end, the, the runners like kind of stretch their bodies out to cross the line. That's just the kind of, that's the, that's the kind of imagery here. I reach forward to what lies ahead. So what, what, what in Paul's life, what, lied behind, what, what would lie behind Paul that would, would cause him to, 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 to stumble in his, in his race that, he's, that he is on, this race of life? Because I don't know if you ever watched runners. I mean, for one, um, 
Mm, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I was maybe 13, 14 or so. Uh, my dad took us to his old uh, high school stomping grounds and there was a, a track meet going on. And some of these kids, you know, 16, 15, 16, 17, amazing athletes and they're running. And uh, we were watching the, uh, what's the thing when they jump? Hurdles, thank you. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm an expert at sports. But uh, the, the hurdles, and uh, this one kid, as soon as the gun went, they, this one kid shot out like a bullet, and boom, 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 going around and going around the track, all these hurdles. And then this other kid, right towards the last turn, started making his way up, and that guy just barely like looked back real quick, and he misjudged, and he hit that next hurdle head on. I mean, one leg went over, the other leg did not. So, man, that's an ouchie. You know, we know that pain. That's, hello, you know, and, and he fell down and he hit it hard and he's just, he's tumbling and he scratches his, and meanwhile, boom, he, he, he loses the race. I mean, he was right there and he just barely turned his head, boom, lost it. And so Paul's kind of using that same language. Like, I don't, I don't want, I'm not a runner who's looking back because if I look back, I can stumble, I can fall. If I focus on what's, uh, what's behind I may choose to, to run after that instead of running after Jesus. So like with, with, with Paul, he might've been tempted to, to follow back into his accomplishments, who he used to be. It's like, oh man, he used to, what was it? It was great. Wasn't it great, Paul, to, to have people who liked you? Wasn't it great to go to family get-togethers? Wasn't it great to have your neighbors actually acknowledge you and not pretend you're dead or don't exist? Wasn't it great to have money to provide, you know, to pay the bills? Wasn't it great when people respected you as an expert of the law? That was all great. That was amazing. Paul's like, no, I don't, I don't, I, I forget that. I choose not to remember that. Another area that Paul might've been tempted to, to look back on, to focus on, could have been just the baggage that he carried. Because prior to coming to Christ, he was a religious zealot. You know, he was, uh, he was, he, he was just pursuing the Christians. He's like, he, he put a lot of men and women in Christ in prison. He had them beaten. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen, another follower of Christ. And he's like, I did some horrible things. And if he just walks around looking at that baggage, carrying that baggage on his shoulders, he could be tempted to think, what am I doing in this position? I'm an apostle. Are you kidding me? Do you, look what I did in the past. There's no way I should be here. I shouldn't be a church planner. I shouldn't be a, 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 a pastor. I, there's no way. But Paul recognized that he was forgiven. And if God doesn't hold his sins against him, neither should Paul hold those sins against him. So he's like, no, I'm, I'm focusing ahead. I'm reaching forward. I'm straining forward to, to Christ. Another area could have been just t- sins, tempted to sin. You know, oh man, that, that guard that spit at me, man, it would have been so great to punch him in the face. Oh yeah, those people who just you know boo have been have been telling a whole bunch of lies. Oh man, I got some nasty gossip on them. Oh, I can't wait to spread it. You know, could be tempted to do that. Paul's like, no, no, no. I gotta focus on Christ. I gotta focus what lies ahead. And he says, I, at verse 14, I press on, I continue to chase after toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Now, in the, in the first century, whenever uh, uh, an athlete would win, uh, they would ca- be called up to this area called the Bema seat. And it was where the, the judge or the Caesar, if Caesar was overseeing the competition, would be. And you would stand before him and he would declare in front of all these thousands of people that you are the victor of this competition. And then he would give you a Stephanos or, or, or this, uh, this victor's crown, which is made out of these reeds or, or like vines, sometimes like I think... Um, uh, was it celery? Celery leaves. It would be put on the, their head, and it was it was a it was a it was a sign of honor. It was a sign of respect. It was something that for the athletes uh, personally, it was a, a a precious thing to achieve to have. And so Paul's like, you know what? I I press on towards the goal to where Jesus is, and where Jesus is, there's a prize waiting for me. In First uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about how athletes run to win a, pr- a, a prize, win a crown that will die because it's made out of you know organic material. He says, "But we as Christians run the race to receive an eternal crown, an eternal pri- uh, prize, an eternal kingdom where we're with Jesus forever and ever." He says, "That's my goal. That's my goal. That's my focus." So like last week, he talked about 
Everything that I thought was gain in my life, I count as rubbish, as scubalon compared to knowing Jesus. And I'm like a runner. I'm running after Jesus hard. He is my ultimate focus. And so when we read that, we've got to ask ourselves the same question. Where's our heart? Where are we? As we are running this race, what is it that is that we keep looking back at that's drawing our attention away from the main goal? Could it be our accomplishments? Could it be the good things in this life? Like just, uh, um, you know, um, if having people, people's good opinion of you. Could it be money? Could it be fun vacations? Could it be that house? Could it be that latest gadget? Could it be, again, just respect? Could it be power, influence? Whatever it is, what are you looking at? Uh, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who lost his life uh, serving the Lord, um, wrote, I believe in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. I mean, I'll read it again because it's, it's just so good. He is, not, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Everything in his life, and Paul recognized all the achievements, all the prestige, all that is going to fade away. What's not going to fade away is Jesus and his eternal kingdom. I'm going to focus on that. Could it be the baggage of our past sins? Like, oh man, I've done some, I, prior to Christ, I just did such horrible things. I made some horrible choices, horrible decisions. I, maybe you've heard this or maybe you've even said this. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Have you heard that? I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And it's meant to sound kind of humble, but the reality, it's completely arrogant. Because when you, under, when you understand it, it's basically, okay, God in his holy righteous standard, he, he, he has forgiven me, okay, great, but I have much higher standard than God. Though he has forgiven me, I can't forgive myself. So it sounds like it's supposed to be humble, but in reality, it's just so arrogant and pompous. The truth is, if we are in Christ, all of our sins have been erased. We've been washed clean. We, Paul says that you, we, we've become new creations. The old has died, behold the new. Our identity has changed. We're no longer sinners, we're saints. We're no longer objects of wrath. We're, we're recipients of blessing. It's an amazing thing. And so if God doesn't hold our sins, our past sins, um, and even our future sins against us, we shouldn't hold it against ourselves either. Another area that we might find ourselves looking back to is just sins, temptations, attitudes. You know, it's like, oh, I struggle with anger, but man, it feels good when I finally unleash that anger on someone who just cut me off, you know? Or maybe it, 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 it's, it's, again, one of the biggest areas, especially, well, for everybody, both men and women, but it's the idea of lust. And it could be both a, a sexual kind of lust or just even a material kind of lust, just coveting, lusting after things. Something that you're just focusing your attention on and it's keeping you from running ahead. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, um, the author talks about, you know, brings again this idea that we're all running a race. And he says that we've been, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, referring to other saints, other followers of Jesus who have ended their race. And it's almost like if they're standing on the sidelines or in the bleachers cheering us on. And he says, because we're surrounded by this great cloud of, of witnesses, let us run, let, let, us, let us cast away, throw away every sin that is so easily entangles us and can make us trip. And let's just keep running and let's focus on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith let's just focus on Jesus that was Paul Paul's like listen I'm not there yet I haven't arrived I'm still a work in progress but I'm running I'm running I'm, I'm going passionately after Jesus he is he is my goal he is my prize I'm looking after him we have to ask again our, where's our heart Verse 15, he says, let us therefore, in light of what I just said, as many as are perfect, he uses the word teleos, which could mean uh, fully accomplished, fully developed. The way Paul uses this word is referring to maturity, not just physical maturity, more specifically spiritual maturity. So he's saying, listen, those of you 
who consider yourself spiritually mature, who are spiritually mature, he says, have this attitude, have this frame of mindset, this frame of mindset that you're not there yet. You haven't arrived, that you're still running and pursue God and, and the goal of eternity with all you got. That's the mark of, one of the marks of, of a mature Christian. They recognize they don't got it all together yet. You know, they, they recognize that they, they, they're still, there's still things to learn. There's still things to, to grow, to become more and more like Jesus. And then he says, and if anything, you have a different attitude in which there are people who have a different attitude from that who think, oh no, I'm pretty good. He says, God will reveal that also to you. It's like, if you don't believe me, God's going to work in your heart. Don't worry. He's going to, he's going to humble you. <laughs> you know, maybe some of you have experienced that. You thought, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty strong in my faith. Everything's good. I'm, I don't need to keep on reading as much as I have been. And then all of a sudden God just, boom, knocks you down, re- re- makes you realize, no, you're still running the race. So keep running, keep focusing on Christ. Don't look at what's behind. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Verse 16 He says, so mature people have this mind, have this mindset that you're still in progress, that you're still running the race. Verse 16, however, nevertheless, let us keep living. Let us keep marching forward. Let us keep, let us uh, stay in step by, uh, to this same standard to which we have obtained, to which we have come upon, to which we have arrived. We have, we anticipate even. And this is the idea that because um, we're on this race and because we're, um, it, because we, we haven't arrived at our goal, but we are, as Christians, arriving, if that makes sense. We haven't arrived at our goal with Christ in eternity, you know, our bodies changed in glorification and all that. We haven't arrived, but we are arriving to that goal. It, 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 nothing's going to change that. It's, uh, it kind of harkens back to um, chapter one, verse 27, when he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's, it's like you are citizens of God's kingdom. So live it out. Keep running. Keep living out. Keep focusing on Christ. That's who you are. Folk, run, 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 run. Verse uh, 17, he gives two commands. He says, brethren, again, those I love, my family members, Join in following my example. Literally become a co-imitator or joint imitator of me and observe. This word observe is um, this idea of uh, uh, someone, uh, an archery, focusing in on a target. It's like he's just dead focused, uh, uh, viewing it carefully, attentively. He's observe those who walk according to the pattern, according to this same type you have in us. What Paul's saying is, listen, follow my example and find others and, and follow their example. It's this idea that there, there are other Christians who they're not perfect examples. That's, that's only found in Jesus, but they're faithful examples. He says, if you want to mature, if you want to grow, you need to follow their examples. You need to learn from those people. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, Paul's relationship with Timothy and how Timothy, Paul, Paul and Timothy, there was like a, a, a spiritual father-son dynamic that, that Paul was a, 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 a spiritual mentor to, to young Timothy. And as we continue reading the, Old Testament, uh, the New Testament, uh, we're encouraged, the young, older are encouraged to instruct the, the younger, especially like ladies instruct the, the older ladies instruct the younger ladies. They so you have that mentor relationship. You know, so not only are we to follow examples, but we're to be examples, we're to be examples, not perfect examples, but faithful examples. Uh, one, one of my mentors, Glenn Barr, would say, you know, you, you want to be a faithful example. You don't want to be, you want to be a good example, not a good example of a bad example. If that makes sense. You don't want to like, oh, that's a, that's a good example of what not to do. No, you want to be a good example, not perfect. You want to be faithful. You want to be good. And so again, uh, you know, for, for us here in the, in the church, we've got a mixture. We've got older, we've got younger, we've got in, in between middle. For the older, are you being an example for the younger? Are you being a mentor to some of the younger people? I mean, again, that's not something that you can ease, that just automatically generate by just doing a pot blessing or a retreat or a Bible study. No, you've got to get out of your seat. You've got to go find those people. 
You got to go actively pursue those mentorees or whatever you want to call it and pour into them and love them and help them be examples to them. Likewise, for the young people who, who, who I know a, um, a statistic was, was uh, just recently done, I think two years ago, uh, it, it kind of doing a survey uh, on a number of churches in the United States and uh, a big percentage of young Christians desire to be mentored. But the thing is, they don't go out looking for the men, uh, their mentor. They, they kind of think that, oh, the mentor is just going to fall out of the sky. I'll just sit here. I'm young. Hello, old people. Find me. It's like, no, you got to get up and you got to go find the mentors yourself. You got to go pursue them. That's what you need. You got to take, you know, take this very, very seriously. That's how we grow. That's how we help one another. Paul's like, follow my example. Follow good examples. That's how you're going to grow. So I was like, well, how, how does that work? Well, an easy, easy way. And I know this is like almost like sacrilegious for some people, but change where you sit. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> this is hard. Yes. Change where you sit. If you want to instruct the younger, sit next to a younger person. Start a conversation before, the, before after the service. That's just the first step. I mean, there's more things that you can do, but at least that's something. So you can go ahead and do that. Be an example. Paul says, telling the Philippians, follow in my example, imitate me, follow example of good Christians and you'll learn and you'll grow. In verse 18, it's, he's answering the question, why? Why are we to follow these examples? Why are we to follow these examples so that we can grow? Paul says, because there are enemies of the cross that you need to watch out for. Verse 18, he says, For many walk or many live their lives, of whom I have often or I have repeatedly told you, and now tell you even weeping. And this, is, this breaks Paul's heart here. He says, These people are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not that these are Christians who are just living sinful lives. No, these are individuals who are hostile to Jesus. They are an enemy of Jesus. They're in opposition to the cross of Christ. And then verse 19, he describes these individuals, characterizes them. He says, these enemies of the Christ, he says, their end, their, their conclusion, the, the end of their life, the conclusion, consummation of their life is destruction. This idea of ruin, of loss, of waste. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul uh, uses this word, apoleo, apoleia, uh, when he's focusing on our final judgment. Final judgment, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This same word is also used to describe Judas Iscariot. Hello? There's a phone call right there. If it's God, let, let me answer because I have another word. Um, anyways, uh, it's probably Google saying that you need to re... Yeah, car, your, your car warranty is about to expire. Well, thank you very much. I had no idea. Back here. Okay, so um, this word destruction is used for, to describe Judas Iscariot. He's the son of perdition. He's the son of destruction. That's where he ended up. That's where these enemies of the cross are ending up. And, it's, and for Paul, he weeps over that. It's tragic. He has the heart of God. God doesn't delight in the, the death of the wicked. It breaks his heart. It's breaking Paul's heart. Their end is, is destruction. He says, whose God is their appetite. Literally, their God is their bellies. It's their own desires. Whatever they, they yearn for, whatever they, that they lust after. In, in our day and age, this is, this is something very, very um, uh, relevant because we, we grow up in school learning that we're just evolved animals. You know, we're, we're, we're animals evolved, but we're still animals. And just like animals have urges and have instincts, so do human beings. And so that's what I'm going to pursue. I'm going to pursue whatever to satisfy whatever my desires are. In, in uh, the church at Corinth, there was an actual phrase that Paul um, brings up. It, it was the phrase was the food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Like food is made for the stomach and that's what the stomach is there for. Basically, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. If I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink. If I got an itch, I'm going to scratch it. If I want to engage in immorality, I'm going to engage in immorality. It's just what you do. It's who I am. It's what I do. I'm just an animal. And that's what these people are. 
And Paul's like, this is tragic. Their God is their appetite. And in in 1 Corinthians, when he's bringing up this phrase, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, Paul says, but God will destroy them both. Like these people are pursuing all this this temporary stuff and it's not going to last. How tragic is that? He then goes on to describe and whose glory or they glory, they boast, they're very proud in their shame. The things that they should be ashamed of, they're prideful of. And then he goes on, who set their minds, who, who, who focus their attention, their thoughts on earthly things, on the things of this world. And so Paul's saying, listen, you, you, need, to, you need to grow in your maturity. You, you're, you're still a work in progress. You need to keep on running that race. And one of the ways to help you grow is to look at following my example, follow the examples of other faithful Christians because that'll help you grow and that will protect you from these enemies of the cross. Because listen, these enemies of the cross are going, they're, they're hostile toward Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, they're gonna be hostile towards you. It's gonna come in the form of persecution, maybe even deception. You gotta watch out for them. You gotta grow in order to, to be protected. The, the, verse 20, the other, the, the other reason why we're supposed to grow in our maturity and, and follow the example of Paul and others is because we are citizens of heaven. Uh, verse 20, Paul says, for our citizenship, literally our place of, of citizenship, our, our community is in heaven. It, 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 it belongs to heaven. It presently exists in heaven. The word, when he uses heaven, he uses in the, the plural, it's the heavenlies. This is the place where, where God dwells. You know, God has an eternal kingdom and we're a part of it. That's the amazing thing. We are a part of God's eternal kingdom. We are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. It's not, it's not like something we're, we're waiting for in the future. Like, oh, eventually we're gonna be part of his kingdom. No, we're part of it now. One day, Jesus is going to fully establish his kingdom and we'll be there and hallelujah. But right now we're citizens of God's kingdom. Um, there, there's a, let me see if I can find it in my notes, but there's a song. Uh, papers, papers, papers. Um, so there was a song written by uh, Daniel O'Donnell and uh, the words go, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's a fun, if you've ever heard that, this world ain't my home. It's kind of, kind of a little toe-tapping song. Um, but the misconception is that our, our, our residency is, is somewhere in the future. And until then, we just have to live our life with minimal to no damage until we get there. But the truth is, um, for the Philippians, they were, they were granted the title of a Roman colony. And as such, those who resided in the city were now Roman citizens. And the goal of a Roman citizen was not to eventually pack up everything and move to Rome. The goal of a, of a Roman citizen was to bring Rome to where they lived. And so we are citizens of God's kingdom our job is not just to live our life and eventually pack up everything, go up to be with heaven and yay, kumbaya, everything's amazing. Our job is to bring heaven down to where we are by the way we live, the way we act, the way we love each other and serve one another. That's amazing. That's pretty, uh, an incredible responsibility that we have. He says, we are citizens of the heaven from which we also eagerly wait. We are expectant. We anxiously wait for a savior. We know he's coming the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Those titles, Lord and Savior, were used for for Emperor Nero, but Paul's like, no, 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 Jesus is the true Savior. He's the true Lord, the one who's in charge. He's the true King of the universe. Verse 21, this Jesus will transform. This is where we get the word metamorphosis. He will literally remodel, change our physical form, the body of our humble state into into conformity or to the to the shared likeness with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things. And in Greek, there's an emphasis there. He literally means all things, to subject all things to himself. Paul's like, listen, we're citizens of God's kingdom. And one day uh, when God, when, when Jesus comes and he establishes his kingdom, uh, the same body that resurrected, glorified body that Jesus has, we're gonna be transformed into 
something very similar, something almost exactly like that. And it's gonna be eternal. It's gonna last forever and ever and ever. It's gonna be amazing. And, and Jesus is gonna do this by the exertion of his power. Now, do you, does, does Jesus get tired? You know, it does the, I'm talking about the risen king, the risen king of kings and lords. Does he get tired? No. Does his strength get weakened after exerting it for a while? No. Have you ever watched the, the world's strongest men competition? It's like, maybe not, but it's, it's a really interesting competition. These guys, you, you can see them on YouTube, but it's like these guys have, they're like so massive. I mean, they have to walk around sideways to get through doors. Their neck is bigger than their head. They're huge. They have amazing, really cool names like laser. Um, but like these guys will lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds. They'll deadlift all this. They'll pull cars, buses. They'll even strap a harness and pull like a mini jet across a run, runway. These guys are massive and, and, and they're, they're so strong, but even their strength, these really strong guys uh, get tired. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus, his strength will never go away. His power will never go away. And in that strength, that eternal, all that powerful strength. He is going to transform us and he's going to subject everything. He's going to subordinate every rule and authority all under his authority. So again, the the, the idea is like, okay, so why are we to continue to to realize that we're still work in progress? We're we're supposed to be running this race, pursuing Christ. Why are we supposed to be uh, looking at at examples like Paul and other faithful followers and following their examples and growing? Reason number one, because there are enemies of of the gospel, enemies who want to discourage us because they oppose us and who also want to deceive us. So we've got to be watch, watch out. And number two, because it's who we are. We're, we're citizens of the kingdom. So let's live it out. Let's live it out. We don't earn our salvation. You know, that's something that, that, that Christ has already done for us. But once we're saved, we live out our new identity in Christ. So he's like, live it out, be a citizen. And then he closes up in verse, in, 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 in um, uh, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, as a result of what I just said, And then he uses just some very intimate, loving language. He says, therefore, my beloved, those who are the objects of my affection, brethren, whom I long for, who I earnestly long to see, who who I miss. I love you guys. I miss you guys. He goes on, my joy and my crown. Like you guys bring me gladness. You, you are a precious to me, just as a victor's crown is precious to the athlete. You guys are precious to me. Then he gives the command, in light of what I've just said, in this way or thus, stand firm or continually be constant. Continually persevere. You can't do this on your own strength. You've got to do it in the Lord. And then he closes off, my beloved. I love you guys. My dad um, was a, a runner you know, when he was in high school, all throughout high school. When he, he was in city, city college, he was just a runner. He was a long distance, I think you call it cross country runner. And uh, he, he, he had this desire to, that his children would follow in his footsteps. <laughs> and so um, at, when my older brother and I were younger, uh, he signed us up for a local running team. And... Um, I'm really not that coordinated or anything. I don't really, I follow some sports, but I'm not really a sports person. Uh, just legs just don't move that great. But I, I, I couldn't qualify for the, the, the short dashes, you know, where you have to, the whole point is running really, really fast. I couldn't qualify for that. I can only qualify for cross country. And I was like, just shoot me now. You know, it's just because it's a lot. Okay, so at that time, because you know, cross country requires both physical and mental endurance, okay? And at that time, I was much more, there was a lot more of me to love, let's just say that. <laughs> um, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I was a little bit, yeah, soft and yes. Um, and so, <laughs> so I was SpongeBob. <laughs> A little bit bigger than that, uh, uh, that SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> but, 
but I'd be running and I just, I'd lose. I couldn't, I couldn't finish the race. You know, or I couldn't finish our little mini races that we would do. That was, that was supposed to be fun. Hey, let's have a fake race. Oh, yay. I couldn't do it. I just like be like, oh, I hate the coach. I hate my parents. And, and, and I would see other kids larger than myself pass me up. And they would just keep running. I mean, it wasn't the fact that they, they were tired. I mean, they were puking all over the side. But they would run in and they're going towards that goal. And the reason I realized is the reason why they were able to run is because they had, they were focused. They were in the game. They were committed. They were going to not stop until they crossed that line, no matter how awful they felt, no matter how much they puked, they were going to do it. We are involved in a spiritual race and in this race, it's, it's not a hundred meter dash. It's not this short, it's a long cross country. It's, it's difficult, it's hard. And it requires spiritual endurance. Again, the amazing reality is though we haven't arrived at the goal, we are arriving to it. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And as such, we are bringing God's kingdom down. We've got to run that race. We've got to focus in. We've got to be committed. We've got to, just, Jesus has to be our main focus. We've got to stop looking at the things that are, oh, distracting us. We've got to be fully committed. If you're not committed, it's, it's we've, we've, a lot of us have already seen many Christians kind of already finish their race, right? Some of them, they finish strong. They were, they were not perfect, but man, they were faithful. They're an amazing example. But also we've probably seen some that didn't end so well, right? Maybe they just, they, they, they stumbled a bit and it just, it wasn't very good. Paul's like, I, I want to be committed. I want to be focused on Jesus. I want to stretch out for Jesus. I want to grab a hold of Jesus the same way Jesus already has a hold of me. I can't wait to be with Jesus. That's my goal. That's my ultimate prize. That's what I value. And it's just, it has to be the same for us. Again, we have to ask our question, what is, where is our heart? Where is our heart? Another amazing thing about, um, about this race is that we do not run alone. We don't run alone. We run with other brothers and sisters. We're all works in progress. We're all learning. We're all growing. And, and, and if, if you ever watch some of those races, some of those races where the, you know, one of the racers are, get a cramp in their leg and they're just like tripping over. Some of us will get that. Some of us, as we're running this, this race called life, we'll get cramps in our legs and maybe we'll stumble over our feet. Maybe we'll even fall down and scrape ourselves on the ground. What's so amazing is as a church, we get to come alongside, pick them up. I'm gonna run with you. Come on, let's go, let's go. Let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. I know it's hard, I know it's rough, but let's keep going. The goal is right there. Jesus is right there. Eternity's right there. Your prize is right there. Let's keep running. Let's keep going. Amazing thing about the church. A huge blessing. We get to help each other. And so... Athletes, brothers and sisters, let's run that race. Let's run that race with all of our might, with everything we've got. There's so much things in this world that can, again, distract us, that seem like they're valuable, that they're important. And some of them is good things that we can rejoice in, blessings we can rejoice in and thank God for. But it's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is Jesus and only Jesus. It's always going to be about Jesus and we got to follow him. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll close. Father, I thank you again for this time that you've given us. I thank you uh, for the focus of, of Paul. I, I thank you for, for that Paul shared his heart with us. And Lord, uh, our desire is to have that same heart to pursue you like mad, to pursue you with, with every inch of our being that we would value you, we would prize you, we would see you as the ultimate goal of our life and we would run, that we'd stand firm, stand fast in our faith. Lord, that we, we would follow good examples, not perfect examples, but good faithful examples. And Lord, that we also would be good examples to others. 
thank you, Lord, that, that we don't run this race alone. You are with us. You promise never to leave us or forsake us. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to do what you've called us to do. But Lord, you've also placed us in a family where we can serve one another, help one another. And so Lord, give us opportunities this week to do so because Lord, we're all works in progress. We all stumble. We all get cramps in our legs. We all sometimes get our our gaze gets misdirected on other things. And so Lord, may we be the church that helps each other through this race, running with endurance and with joy. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.